When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. And welcome to the show. Make sure you're subscribed because we have new episodes coming out every Monday. And if you've been around for a while and you have an artist that you'd like us to talk about, make sure to let us know by messaging us on Facebook and Instagram. And lastly, if you think that listening to good music is like drinking a fine wine, Make sure to check out the Patreon link in the description below right now and become a patron. You get all your episodes early and special access to a segment that we like to call the Bad Music Podcast, where we talk about the six worst songs that that artist has ever released. So check that out. And with that, Lucas, who are we talking about today? So we are going to be uh, talking about someone that is nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, but... um... This artist currently is nominated for her solo work, but in this episode, uh, in order to be able to tell that story, we have to tell this first chapter first. So we're going to be talking about the work of Ike and Tina Turner. Ooh. So, because, um, yeah, Tina Turner is nominated as a solo artist, but you really can't understand the significance of her solo work until you understand this part of her story because this is one of the most fascinating inspiring and crazy stories in music history okay well that's a good setup (laughs) that's a great setup so before we get into that yeah we're gonna do our first thoughts so we're gonna kind of just each give our what we knew about the artist before coming into this episode and kind of what our our opinions and presuppositions and this is on the new one to ten scale yes i was about to say that we're gonna Do being... one to ten instead of the one to five. Since it's a little, let's just be a little more accurate. Ethan last week was having to say like three point one, which well, I'll still still probably do points, but it'll be a little bit more helpful to have a one to ten. And I think it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. So ten, we agreed was like pillar. Like you cannot love them anymore. There's nothing. There's no new information that would make you love them anymore than you right. can love them. Correct. <laughs> and one is. There's nothing that you could do to make me hate this artist more. Or even love them at all. I think you can always move up, (laughs) but you can't move down. They're in the pits of despair, anti-pillar. And so everywhere, and then I think five is like just neutral, like completely indifferent (laughs) to their existence. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, 
So, Ethan, we'll we'll start with you. What are your uh, first thoughts about Ike and Tina Turner? Um, I only know one song from them, and it's in our set list today, um, <laughs> because uh, we live in Oklahoma, and this was used for a jingle. <laughs> yeah, the casinos. Yeah, the casino jingle. Mm-hmm. I've heard of Tina Turner. I've surprisingly well, never heard. It actually, of wasn't their version. It wasn't their version that was on those right. jingles. It was but, the original. The so I, I've heard of Tina Turner for I've never heard of Ike and Tina Turner for some reason. So I'd probably put myself at a a five. If someone would have just said, What do you think of Ike and Tina Turner? I would have been like, I don't know any of their songs. <laughs> so I'm at a completely neutral have no feelings five. I I have to agree. Like I didn't know I couldn't have named a single song either. I know nothing about Ike and Tina Turner. I can't even tell you what era they're from. I can't even tell you, like, what instruments they play, you know, or if any at all. Like, I can't, I cannot tell you anything. So I wouldn't even go so far as to say I'm even a five. I'm just not even on the scale. Like, you can't put me on the scale. I don't know enough. I think that would put you at a five. Knowing nothing. Fine, five. Very interesting. This might be the first time that we have done an artist that neither of you guys know anything about. Usually one of you guys are like, oh, I know this person. Right. I guess I I have a slightly positive disposition of them because I know that they are kind of soul. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, there's a lot of soul artists. (laughs) And so I've never gotten around to listening to them. Okay. Um... I have known about Ike and Tina Turner for a long time, but uh, for the longest time, I'd only ever heard one song of theirs. And it's the same one that you're talking about, Ethan. So um, I was pretty unknowledgeable, but I did know some of the story, even though I didn't know quite any of the music yet. I would also say that a five is a pretty accurate spot for me. Maybe, maybe closer to six than than you guys were, but this was this was kind of unknown for me too. But it was one of those things where I was just like, this. The more I started to look into, it, I was just like, this would be an incredible uh, story to tell on this podcast. So, um, Ike and Tina Turner, they were husband and wife, and. Uh, obviously, Tina Turner was the singer. Ike Turner uh, is the guitar player on all of their music, as well as like the band leader. So they actually had their own band called uh, the Ike and Tina Turner Review, and a group of background singers called the Ikeettes. <laughs> so that was kind of like the the band that played around with them. Ike made all of the executive decisions. He was like the leader of the group. He, before they got together, his claim to fame was writing one of the songs that is constantly in argument for what is the first ever rock and roll song. Whoa. In the 50s, he wrote a song called Rocket 88, Mm -hmm. which like that was like in the early 50s. So it's like it's usually always between – Songs like that and Louie Louie and Rock Around the Clock and The Fat Man. It's 
It's like no one can really agree on what was the first definitive rock and roll song, but that song is one of them that is tossed around. It came out in like 53 or 54 or something like that. It was it was pre-Elvis, pre-Chuck Berry. It's like one of the songs that really defined the beginning of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And it's something we would probably look out when we get to that point in our music history uh, subseries. Oh yeah, wow. that's definitely a song that we would probably put on the on the set list because it's you know it's it's a very historically significant song. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the next half decade. Uh, Ike was not able to come up with another song to um, rival its success or its importance until he met uh, Tina Turner. Now, Tina Turner is not her real name. Obviously, Turner was when she got married, but Tina is not her first name. Her real name is Ann Bullock. And... He changed her name to Tina Turner so that way he could have legal rights over her name. Hmm. That's kind of messed up. Oh, Hopefully you know, that's not a precursor of things to come. Oh, it is. Oh. <laughs> Ike Turner is one of the baddest SOBs I've ever uh, learned about in my life. But not bad SOB like in a good way. No. This, this was a cruel, sadistic man. That, I mean, just, he literally put Tina Turner through hell throughout the, oh, 15 years they were together. My. Because they were married from, they were married from 60 to 76, so 16 years. This episode took a turn, wow. Yeah, Um, I mean, he just, he... He physically abused her, sexually abused her, mentally, uh, emotionally. I mean, just everything that you could do to a person, he did to her. Wow. So they meet and get married, and then what? So um, she sees him at a concert and just uh, goes up and starts singing, and that attracts his interest. Um, He pretty much kind of like banks his entire career upon her. And so his method of abuse was to keep her from ever leaving him out of fear. Kind of like to, and, and she said that I was just like, wouldn't a better tactic been to treat me right? Because if you were good to me, then I wouldn't have ever wanted to leave you. Um, so they get together in 1960 and immediately they start making records. In the first half of the 60s, they're pretty much just like another dime a dozen soul group because early 60s is when Motown comes around. Um, you've already had, you know, legendary acts come along in the genre like Ray Charles and Sam Cooke and uh, James Brown's already come around at this point. Um, and so they were not getting hits. And then late 60s, they finally start to get bigger. They actually kind of start to get more of an audience more in the, in the rock and roll crowd. In particular, um, the Rolling Stones became a big uh, became big fans of theirs and had them as the opening act 
for uh, their European tour in C6. And so they got really big over in England and started to get bigger in uh, in America. And I would say 1970, 71 was like the peak when Proud Mary came out. That was their highest charting single. It won a Grammy for best uh, vocal duo performance or vocal group performance. And but then it just they were never able to keep it up after that. A big portion of that being uh, Ike getting into drugs. And Don't do drugs, kids. Yep. He was, uh, he was hardcore on cocaine and alcohol. And just like he spiraled hard into a, uh, into a destructive pattern, as well as becoming obsessed with creating another hit. And he was one of those people that really was a terrible songwriter and had mostly terrible ideas. It's the reason why they never had more hits than they actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of one of those people. It's like a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could say that. You know, his two times he was right was riding rock, riding Rocket eighty eight, and that. Uh, their cover of Proud Mary because those were like his only two big songs. Mm-hmm. But so we're so then were Ike and Tina Turner technically a one hit wonder? Yeah, because I mean they really didn't have like tons of songs in the top ten. Like it was there they I was surprised to find that they did not have as big of a celebrated catalog. But there's still a lot of great music in there. It's just not a lot of it rose to the top of the charts. And Ike was someone that consistently shot himself in the foot when it came to his songs. I cannot tell you the number of times I was listening to their catalog and was listening to a good song, and he makes a decision that completely destroys the song. So that's what you're talking about later whenever we're doing the bad music podcast for the patrons like just weird decisions mind-boggling things stuff like um why why did you decide to fade out right there the song is clearly not done yet or um having like a normal like uh r&b single and then adding the grossest sounding synth noise you could ever come up with and it's just like this this does not belong here and it completely brings the song down. It sounds very amateurish. Yeah. And Tina talks about how he just he would become so fixated and so obsessed that he would literally work for five days at a time with no sleep. Oh my. Just fueled on cocaine. Well, that's how the songs got so bad. Mm-hmm. And he would also become just fixated on specific styles and genres that he was mm-hmm. unable to evolve with the times. And there would be like these these two or three year blocks where he's making the exact same sounding songs every day. And then all of a sudden he'll just jump to the whatever fad is and then just another two to three years make only that kind of song. So then why 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 did they get nominated into the rock and roll hall of fame i mean you're giving me a lot of decisions why they shouldn't well i think honestly a big reason for it is tina 
obviously the by and far best aspect of all their music is Tina's voice. She is truly one of the great singers of all time. She has a powerhouse voice and she was incredibly influential. I do believe that their entry into the rock and roll hall of fame was squarely on her shoulders, which really, really makes it interesting. The fact that, it's obvious that it was her that got them there, but then they can't give her the props for her solo career because one of the mm-hmm. things that happened when she finally broke free is that she kept trying to go get a record deal and they would say, we don't want you if Ike's not with you. And it's mind-boggling mm-hmm. because it's like she's obviously going to be better without him, but it was just the culture was that it was just like, oh, you know, Ike's the leader. She can't do anything without him. Yeah, she's just a pretty face and a good voice. Uh huh. She doesn't have ideas because whenever she was with him, she didn't get to pick any songs that she did. She didn't get to pick how she sung them. Ike was very meticulous about the way she sang everything, about the way she pronounced everything. Like she had no artistic. Uh, only things she got to choose were her choreography on stage and what outfit she wore that was it wow like everything was very controlled like she didn't even get to choose when she recorded like she could be asleep in the middle of the night and he walks in and goes get up you're recording this song right now Hmm. and so so when so when did proud mary like blow up 71 and then so was was their relationship, I guess, in the story, like, because they got married in, you said, 60? Uh-huh. So from 60 to 71, what was, what I guess, what were those times like before the success? Well, um, it got, so the, it's like you, there are two halves. The first half is Tina, like, being overwhelmed by the horrible environment she was in, which culminated in 68 to her trying to commit suicide. Wow. And then the second half is her finding her inner strength and figuring out how to get out and 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 figure out how to thrive without her. Because she did a what lot was of that? she did a, she started doing a lot of stuff behind his back to kind of set herself up for her eventual escape. So get get into that. So she. Um, the the big first thing was uh, her recording uh, "River Deep Mountain High" with Phil Spector. Um, Phil Spector, in a way, tricked Ike into letting him have full creative control over Tina for that one project. And ev- and then after that, like Ike pretty much like realized what happened. It was just, like no one's ever gonna steal her away from me again, and just like very severely locked down everything that she could and couldn't do. But um, she just, she started to secretly have these channels of friends that she rely on. She became a Buddhist, which she used to kind of strengthen her spirit. And she had like a secret area in the house where she had her meditations and her, um, her mantras and, and all of her uh, religious paraphernalia. She mm-hmm. was able to start uh, getting deals for uh, TV and movie appearances behind his back, 
and once she signed the contract, like she was locked in it and he couldn't do anything about it. She ended up being in the uh, the film adaptation of The Who's Quadrophenia. And uh, eventually, the way she left was literally like a, a fly-by-night situation. When was that? In 76. Wow. She, um, like, he got passed out drunk in their dressing room before a show, and she, like, just left. She ran away, snuck out the fire escape, climbed down, crossed a freeway with traffic buzzing between her, and stayed at the hotel on the other side with a fake name and a wig. And Mm. was able to convince their accountant to get her a plane ticket back to Los Angeles. Dang. And then once she did that, she never went back. That is an intense level of... Wow. So, I mean, it's just... It's it's very fascinating. And it's really interesting, once you learn all that, to really start to look at these songs and see the power struggle. You can You can feel these two sides working against each other, but you can definitely see which side won. And it's usually always Ike. I gets his way no matter what. So we were talking about, you know, the talking about all this abuse and whatever. Like we're obviously we know about it now. Like what was the what was the image, I guess, at the time? Like how did we find out that this was all happening? Um, well, obviously no one knew what was really going on during the time that they were together. Even like the people in the band? Oh, well, yeah, the people that were around it, but it was just, like, very much a you keep quiet or you will lose your job. I guess we're talking, like, the 60s. This is the 60s and 70s, yeah, when, like, really this was not super uncommon, but I don't think anyone was treated as bad as Tina was, at least not that I've come across. Well, I I don't want to make it political, but, like, a, a black woman in the 1960s, you know, that's not mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry. It's not a not a great place to be. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So it was just it was very much, you know, like Ike was for as many dumb decisions as he made, like no one questioned that he was the creative mastermind of their career. Now I I I don't want to downplay like like they did have a great career as far as like they 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 had success. They just weren't like they weren't getting top 10 that often. But like they definitely still were successful. Problem was is that he was always squandering it on whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. And so she never got paid anything. Mm. She, the only thing that she got was to continue to be in his presence. So, like, she was never given a check with any money. Well, because since they were married, mm-hmm. like, it just went to him. Yep. Wow. But she wasn't allowed to buy anything, she wasn't allowed to go anywhere. 
like record executives, record executives would say that they would come to their house and they would see Tina Turner scrubbing the floors. Mm. What the so, hell? like, it was. Why didn't she escape sooner? I guess is an interesting is a question because I would have assumed that after after Proud Mary that she would have been. Well, the the first off, the big thing was there was a fear, a fear, like because he was also like he had a very mafia like uh presence about him, like whenever she did finally leave him like he would have goons come by and shoot up her house no yeah what and have people that were like that was you know that other that friends and were able to find out before and just like hey he they're sending someone to come take care of you and she had to like she had to buy, buy her own gun to protect herself wow and like be very careful about where she was going to make sure she wasn't being followed. She had to call the cops a couple times to like get people to leave her alone. And so there was definitely a fear of leaving of what he would do. Cause like she knew that there was no line that he would not cross to get what he wanted. Mm-hmm. As well as, he had constructed it in a way like like I said, whenever she left, it took her a very long time for her to get her solo career off the ground because no one was willing to take a chance on her mm-hmm. without Ike. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she also was just like, I don't – if I leave, my I don't have any way to survive. Not to mention the fact that uh, they had had children together. Yeah. And so that complicated things. Um, and she also just, she was not close to her family, so she didn't have her own family to go uh, back to. Like, Ike was pretty much all she had. And he, and that was also very much by his design to where, you know, he did not allow her to have friends. He didn't allow her to make outside connections. Like, he was very much like, keep you isolated, keep you contained. Scary. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, just, it's insane. The more I was reading about it, I was just like, this is some of the craziest stuff I've ever seen. This is like the type of stuff that you see in like a like a Netflix thriller series. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you come up with this stuff thinking, there's no way, you know, somebody actually lives like this. Right? Like, I think of you like I'm, i i just finished like i got through season two of you and the stuff in that is very reminiscent or like the stuff you're talking about right now is very res- reminiscent of that mm-hmm. like locking people in cages kind of thing you know it's yeah. oh my gosh yeah so i mean there's there's a reason why uh she is called the greatest comeback story in music history yeah i get it now <laughs> because because she got massive in the 80s. I mean, she was one of the biggest stars of the 80s. And oh. she she had number one singles as a solo artist. So oh. it's like not only did she bounce back, but she became bigger than ever. While she, and she was in her 40s when she did it. 
Nice. Like, she didn't start her solo career until she was in her 40s. And mm-hmm. and to just to just see the 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 wretched hell that she was in, and then to overcome it and become one of the greatest stars of all time, yeah. Like, because I first heard that, I was just like, well, maybe that's exaggerating. And then I and then I read it, I was just like, okay, yeah, that's definitely definitely is, at least as far as I've seen. Hmm. Wow. So. And maybe maybe some of this we need to save for a future Tina Turner episode should that happen. But like how like how did that occur? Like how did the steps happen between her escape and her solo career? Like obviously it was hard and it mm-hmm. took her a while, but what was what was the first step that eventually got her to become successful in a solo? Pretty much just trying to get whatever work she could. She took all the, the little scraps of you know, small TV appearances, you know, being on Hollywood squares or um, being a guest appearance on Cher's variety show um, mm. and just stuff like that to at least continue to get her presence known. And when she did that, because she now had complete creative control of what she could do, she was starting to imprint her own, uh, her own vision into her career. So she was she was doing the songs she wanted to do. She was singing them the way she wanted to. She was um, making her own decisions, playing where she wanted to play. Uh, she had the musicians that she wanted, and eventually she was just able to kind of work her way back up until eventually she was doing a show that um, that. David Bowie was in attendance of because David Bowie said that Tina Turner was her favorite singer, was his favorite singer. And he had blown off a, uh, an album release party to go to that concert. And so all the record is, was just like, and they, they asked him, well, where are you going to go? He said, I'm going to go see my favorite artist in concert. And they're like, well, we have to see what David Bowie's favorite artist is, especially if it's good enough that he's going to bail on, an album release party. And so they went and saw her and they were like, we have to get her a record label, a record deal. <laughs> wow. So you can thank David Bowie for that. Thanks David Bowie. Wow. wow. I like David Bowie a little bit more now. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously at this point, I would say, you know, we would have known about what was going on between them. Like mm-hmm. at at the point of her solo career, yeah. So did that play into like her getting the legal rights to her Tina Turner? Yeah. So she went to court, and it was just like they the the court ruled in her favor. It was just like you can't own someone's name, and she was able to have the you know full freedom to operate as Tina Turner. Even though it wasn't her legal name, they were well. Well, it was. It, it just was wasn't her original name. It was. Her I legal think. Name. So much I, I think that in a way, it the him saying "I own your name" was probably a bluff because there's not really legal uh, backing to say that you own someone's name. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, one, that was a big deal, though, because I guarantee her solo career couldn't have happened had she not been able to retain the name that 
she was already known for. So that was a big win for her to get that. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So did all of Ike's like gangster stuff, like did that ever die down? Yeah, it finally did. Just randomly one day, or was there like uh, something that it made was, it stop? Well, the uh, the more um, power she got as a rising solo artist, the more she was able to like, you know, financially pressure him to back off. You know, mm-hmm. she was able to she was able to sue him. She was able to put restraining orders on him. She was able to just really kind of fight back against him mm-hmm. until finally he just because eventually he didn't do anything after they broke up, and so he eventually ran out of money. Wow. Is he is he still around? No, he's dead. He died in the mid two thousands. But she is. She's still alive, yeah. But she's like, uh, she is in her eighties now. Wow. And she hasn't she hasn't performed in fifteen years. Mm. She's been re- she's retired for a while. If she gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, do you think that she'll sing? I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. So both so what- Ike and Tina Turner are in the. Hall of Fame. I can yeah. turn her in the Hall of Fame. Uh huh. But not her solo career. So, um, why I can Tina Turner first? Was that just the strategic play of the of the committee? Yeah, I think that. Well, at the time, her solo career I don't think was eligible. For oh, so this is a, this has been a long time. Yes. Uh okay. she got she got inducted in pretty early in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's lifespan. Um as a as the duo. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's one of those things where it's like they're willing to acknowledge her with the help of her husband and not her as an independent woman. That's kind of that's been a lot of the discussion with this uh, rock and roll is just like really because this is also the first time she's ever even been nominated as a solo career as a solo artist mm. and at this point she's been eligible for you know 15 plus years mm-hmm. so it's just like really like it's 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 astonishing that yeah. it's it's taken this long and so but really kind of what we'll focus on when we're talking about the music, it's like all the greatness is in Tina Turner. She's the reason why all of these songs are as good as they are. Many of the songs do have, I, I wouldn't say that the songs in this set do, minor minor flaws. They're definitely among the best songs but even throughout their entire discography, like she's never like how we talked about with Aretha Franklin. It's usually never her fault. And even yeah. when it is her fault, it's not really her fault because like we said, she can't even sing the way she wants to. She has to sing the way that he tells her to. She has no artistic freedom to do anything the way she wants. 
And so that's why her solo career was so big is because she finally got that ability to Mm -hmm. intuitively sing the way that her voice was wanting to to go. Yes. The way she said it is that Ike had little to no musical instinct. (laughs) That he... (laughs) That he was good at the business side of it, but he was a terrible songwriter and arranger and producer. That he just he didn't have that that instinct to know when a song was good or bad. <laughs> but she, which we will hear in our afterwards. <laughs> yeah, but but she but she was like, but I did, and obviously it's it's evident that I did because look what I was able to do after I left. Good point. And look what he did after I left. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So um, when we when we talk about these songs, like, yeah, we'll talk about a little bit about kind of musically what's going on, but like the focus is going to be on Tina. It's the reason why yeah. we even do this episode. It's to celebrate her and what she uh, overcame and like this is this is not about Ike, it's about her. I think I'm seeing it now. <sighs> it's even even in all of the adversity, she still sang her guts out and was one of the best singers of her era. This is gonna be a pretty heavy episode. Yeah. I think I, I think know. I think it's it's necessary to do that sometimes, but I think this is yeah. a story that people need to know about. Yeah. Not just to know how bad it was, but so you can appreciate how well she did afterward. Because I, mm-hmm. I had considered doing her solo career first, and then I considered maybe doing a mix of both. And then I was just like, no, let's do this first. Let's tell this part of the story, and then in another, the next episode we do on her, we'll go to her solo career. Yeah, that'll be a fun little one part, two part. Yeah, deal. So, right. um, was yeah. there anything else that you guys were wanting to touch on? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to hear. I, the I story. feel like I have great context for for this oh yeah this was a good this is a good first section all right so we'll go ahead and take a a small break here when we come back we are going to talk about the six songs that we have picked for this episode so stay tuned we'll be right back Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Ike and Tina Turner and the really crazy relationship that they have and how that's going to affect the songs that we're going to listen to in this section, our six songs section. So for those of you who are new, welcome. We're glad you're here. We got plenty of episodes, including this one. But Lucas, what's the purpose of this six song section? Why are we here? So this is the part of the show where we get to really concretely talk about um, the music of this artist, as well as it helps us to continue to learn more about their story. So 
um, what I'm doing with these songs is if you've never listened to this uh, group before, these six songs are going to be your best first step into them, hopefully to get you intrigued to discover more about them and to listen to more of their music. But also, I'm picking them in a way to where they transition well off of each other, that there's an emotional flow to the set, and that by the end, hopefully you have a catharsis or a significant emotional experience. And the way that you can go listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode and takes you to a Spotify playlist where you can listen to not only the songs on this list, but all the songs in our other episodes as well. So make sure to go check that out. And I think it's time to go ahead and get started with the one song that pretty much everyone knows by Ike and Tina Turner because yep. it was their biggest hit. Yep. And that's Proud Mary. Woohoo. So every Tulsa knows this song. Yes, but I, I find that most people know the original. Because this was originally by a band called Credence Clearwater Revival. Oh, which, yes. Which is a band that we will definitely do an episode on in the future because they're uh, one of the best groups of the 60s. So this th- – it was written by them, and they actually – it was like a pretty sizable hit for them. This was not like a deep cut that they decided, hey, let's you know, let's take this obscure song and do it. Like this is one of their signature songs. So there's – it's a – reason why we always hear that version so often but i had actually heard this version first thanks to a movie called miss congeniality 2 armed and fabulous so this this is i unironically like that movie so so you said that this would be the definitive version i would man that's tough (laughs) <laughs> because like the original is um iconic in its own right yeah but i think this is the better version ooh because the original proud mary is very very safe it doesn't do mm. anything wild and crazy like this one yes this this song is most known for the fact that it starts off really nice, like how she describes it, nice and rough. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, yeah, this is the the best charting song of their career. It was it won them a Grammy. It gave them success, which mm-hmm. ended up kind of being a two edged sword because then it made Ike want to try all the more harder to make more hit records. Let mm-hmm. him even build a studio inside his own house. Mm-hmm. So that way he could work nonstop. Mm-hmm. And they never had another hit that even came close to matching uh, its success. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's no way. There's no way with something like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we start off with this nice. Um, this nice simple part and we get this little monologue at the beginning mm-hmm. which i thought would be a really cool way to start the set oh yeah it kind of introduces the the group be like we don't really like to do things nice and easy mm-hmm. so here's here's my question to you guys had you guys heard this version before or had you heard the original 
I don't know. I have heard. <laughs> I didn't recognize it the first half. And then the second half, I was like, oh, yeah, there we are. See, I would... Because I was curious to know if either of you guys were expecting it to go the direction it did in the second half. Oh, I, I did. I did because... I know, like, that the song eventually gets to where it is now because I've heard that version. Or I don't know if I don't know how Creedence Clearwater Revival does it, but no, it's 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 very much it stays in the same vein the whole time. There's no it's very much like the first part. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just like a da 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 da. It's a very simple solid. It's good, but it's then, not. I wouldn't say it's a three dimensional rendition. Then I've I've definitely heard this one before because I was expecting I was expecting the whole song to be like that. I didn't even know that the first part even existed. Okay. Like and I didn't know the name of the song either. I just knew it as the River Spirit Casino song. Same. And, <laughs> right. And um I would listen to this after um Dire Straits, right? And there'd be that monologue part at the end and be like, Oh, I guess we're gonna I continue to turn now and I'd pause and then I'd go back to listening to the Dire Straits songs, you know, when I was really in, in intentionally listening to those songs. Um, and I never got to the part where um, I said rolling on the river, but then when I actually listened to the song and I heard that part, I'm like, Oh, I know this song. I don't know how they're going to get to that part that I know, but I know what song it is. It was really weird. It was an interesting experience because I knew how it was going to end. You know, you read the last page of the book, first i guess in this case but i didn't expect it to just suddenly jump yeah so the uh the the little monologue she gives the whole reason that that's there is because she forgot the words and she was buying herself time until she could remember how the words were (laughs) and she didn't do that in the studio uh that was whenever because they they tested this song out live a couple of times before recording it and so she was in a live setting and they're about to start it and she blanked and so she started just talking and so subconsciously she could start going okay what are the what are the words again and then by the time it got to the verse she was like okay i remember and then the song officially started <laughs> and so when and um ike actually ended up liking it and going oh let's let's do that again whenever we record uh, the song for the for the record. Hmm. He took some input. Yes. Maybe Which, that's why the song is so good. I know. So that's so. <laughs> <laughs> that's very much the uh, what we're gonna find is he he benefits when he's not making the decisions. Hmm. That's kind and of sad. Only he but... had realized that. Yeah. Hmm. Man. So yeah, so yeah, you've got the you've got the slow section, and that is also Ike doing the low vocals. Right. There's some weird stuff that he's doing in the low vocals. What do you mean? How's like, that? Like he's I can't describe. It's just like how he's saying "rolling on the river." Like, it's it's not just like rolling. It's like he's like rolling, rolling on the river, like just really drawing it out. Like, really yeah, he's 
he has a very thick southern accent that he over pronounces whenever he does do uh, other vocal spots. Hmm. I mean, it works. I actually kind of like it. Yeah, it, it. I would say of all the songs he does do a vocal spot in, this is by far the best use of it. Ugh, I don't know if I like it. Really? Okay. I mean, I, like his own, I guess it feels like overdone. I didn't know that he was doing it on it on accident because any other times that I've heard him sing, I didn't notice if that 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 was his natural. You know, he does not sing anywhere else in this set. So yeah, where where are you thinking of? I'm scanning through. I really thought that I heard him sing like a harmony. I'm, I don't think he does. Well, when we get there, we'll know. <laughs> I guess so. All right. Anyways. But yeah, it, he's singing very low, too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you're singing at like a really weird spot in your range, you have to pronounce vowels in strange ways <laughs> to get the note to come out. And so, I mean, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but it's not like it's super low. Yeah. But then, yeah, the the big explosive moment is whenever it switched to yeah. the to the big part. Yeah, that, that's pretty good. So Ike arranged all of this music. Yes, he did. It's pretty good. Yeah, it is. Like I like I said, uh, it's one of those situations where it's like a broken clock is correct twice. And <laughs> this is this is one where he really got it right. Yeah, he really did. Um, so why this song though? Like why cover this one? Well, the album that this is on actually has quite a few covers. Remember how, when we talked about Aretha Franklin, about just talking about that, like she, she really didn't have a lot of original songs. She just did a lot of covers and just reworked them to make it her style. I found that that was the case a lot for, uh, them as well. Mm. Um, I mean, this is only like two years after the original had come out, so it was like it was not like because proud the original Proud Mary, I believe, came out in like '69. So you know, this was this. I think it was just kind of like, oh, this was a this was a hit song. We could probably do something with this. This and, this definitely sounds '70s. Now that you mention it. Mm-hmm. Well, so because they also they also have two Beatles covers on that album. They do uh, they do get back and let it be, which uh, both of those covers are okay. Who did get back? Both the Beatles. Oh, that's that. Okay, so they're both Beatles. Yeah, both Beatles songs. I'm not well versed in the Beatles, so you'll have to forgive me, but. Okay. Oh, don't worry. You will be soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we if we keep doing Beatles episodes, I will. So, um, I mean, I don't I don't know if there was any particular reason, like just going, oh, we want to do this song because of this reason. But uh, it was it was Ike's idea to pick this song. Okay. All right. And um, and you could say that Tina's contribution is 
coming up with that little spoken word part at the beginning. Not yeah. even the, not even the uh, vocal melody in the second half. Nope. He wrote all that. Now she she does she did get to improvise a bit, but like pretty but much if he didn't like it. But then... like yeah, like she if if he didn't like the take, you know, it it did not stay. Well, at some point, I mean, I can understand that, yeah. I guess, because you got to have somebody in the band who's like quality control. But I mean, it can't be him. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's like that's not it's not inherently a bad idea, but it's a bad idea for him to do it. Mm-hmm. He He's not the one that should be making that decision. Right, right. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's 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 an electrifying uh second half and i put this at number two on the ranked playlist Ooh. number two okay so i bet number one's on the list then you'll have to you'll have to see if it is I guess, I guess how we'll many songs how many songs did you rank oh gosh um here i can find out real quick i ranked 252 songs this was the <laughs> This was nope. the hardest time I'd ever had uh, creating a ranked playlist because there was so much music. And not only that, but I ran into a, a issue where they constantly were re-recording the same songs, but they would put different titles to them. <laughs> but it was the exact same song. And you're just like, wait a minute. And so, and because I had heard so many songs, I like couldn't remember that I had heard it. No. And so I hear, I was just like, "Oh, here's a new song." This is getting bad exposure to like R and B because that's just a bad dream, is what it is. That's a nightmare. There was one soul music because you had this problem with uh, Aretha Franklin, and now you're having it with Ike and Tina Turner. Um. Yeah, because there was one song that literally there were four versions of it. And they were all named different? They were all different names. That's kind of... It's bizarre. They they probably did it. I don't know. I'm just trying to think from your perspective. How did you rank them on the playlist? Did you just like, hmm, which name is the best? No, I mean, well, if it was the same song, then I deleted the other versions and just kept the one version of the song. Cause once I realized it was, it was the same version. I just deleted it off the playlist. I was like, I'm not going to rank it twice. It's the same song. Yeah. So, uh, it's so weird. Though. I know. Yeah. There was, there, there was this one song that I literally heard four times and I knew that I had heard it each time because it has a very distinctive, um, a very distinctive opening line. <laughs> so I, was just, I remember the, the like the third time I was just like, oh, this again? And then I heard it a fourth time. I was just like, I just, I don't understand what's happening. Is that on our bottom six? No. For, for being a, repeated four times? It's not a terrible song, but it's not a great song either. It's one where Aretha and Ike share lead vocal duties. Aretha? No, sorry, not Aretha. Tina. <laughs> oh, yeah, you put Aretha into my brain, and sorry, sorry. 
so yeah, this was this was an incredibly tough playlist to rank, just the sheer volume of it and the confusion of and also just I was amazed by how many non album songs there were. There were so many compilation records. Oh. Of just like there was there was at least ten different greatest hits and none of them had any of the same songs on them ever. That's weird. Yeah. That also feels kind of manipulative. Yeah. From Ike's standpoint to like rename songs and re release them and uh-huh. yeah. that's that's that was what I was starting to pick up on. I was just like something something this isn't normal. And like you would mm. you would get into different parts and like you would see different versions of the song and the only difference in the title is that one of them is spelled wrong. And it's just like is no one paying attention to this? Like there's there's a song of theirs called I Got My Mojo Working. And one of the versions is I Got My Moho Working. Oh my lord. That's not even that even makes sense. That mm-hmm. So, <gasps> wow. yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's a bizarre catalog to go through for many reasons, as well as also just a lot of the songs that I heard were bizarre. Yeah, yeah, that, that'll do it. Man. But this is this is number two on the list, so it's doing pretty good. Yeah. It's a good song. The horn arrangement's pretty. I mean, it's just yeah, horn arrangement's great. It's a seventies, you know. It's good. It's it's. I don't want to say it's typical, but instrumentation is you know, pretty in genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's typical if it's good. And I think know. that's where it goes back to like, there's nothing like other than it just being a fun song, like Tina's vocal and even Ike's vocal is good but tina just on all those little ad libs is just killing it mm-hmm. yeah oh, the yeah. big wheels keep on turning sections are always just you look forward to that there are some points i i noticed there are some points that and i was gonna make this observation but it actually makes more sense in context um that like tina's um track is it's very it's still very like warts and all kind of like recording but Mm -hmm. it's if you changed anything it would lose some character to it yeah but ike's track for the for the um for the backing section is just is kind of like i don't know i feel like he just took the first take and that was it (laughs) yeah it's it's likely and and I I thought that originally to be like oh, they kind of just like Tina was just so naturally good and they just kind of were a first take kind of artist, but I guess it makes more sense now. Mm-hmm. No, but anyway, I think we can go ahead and move on to the next song. We can get it on to the next song. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. I so it, first off, we start out with this great horn arrangement. I guess mm-hmm. first off, is this an original? Yes, this is an original. 
Yeah. Get the, it, get it is the actual song. So the first time that I, we ended up getting to the point where she's like, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. I was just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just, <laughs> it's like, I usually don't like that kind of repetition, but I knew, I knew what the next lyric was, you know? I was just like, yeah, build it up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she does an incredible job of just building that and then to get the, you better get it out of your mind. Mm-hmm. So we come now to the uh, the the lyrics that Ike was writing that seemed to be like completely contradictory to what was really going on in their actual lives. Mm-hmm. Because obviously he does not want her to be that in real life. Mm-hmm. Because he 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 doesn't want her to be challenging him. Like she literally couldn't critique him about anything she couldn't uh you know like say this is a bad idea or you know i don't agree with this like Mm -hmm. he was someone that openly uh cheated on her Mm. like as in like he would have three other uh women that lived in the house with them that like he would be like, hey, I'm gonna go in the other room and and have sex with these ladies. Like mm. he didn't hide it, like it was just like it was there. And so, you know, because this whole song is about you know if you're gonna be unfaithful to me, you better forget it. You better mm. you better get that thought out of your mind because you're not gonna be cheating on me. Um. Like, there's no way that that was how it actually was. So it's like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of, like, why he would do this song. Is it to, like, to build up the, you know, Tina is a is an amazing, you know, strong woman kind of character that he's created for her? Maybe. Because he... I, I, I'm That's what I'm leaning towards happening, because that's the way he has always presented her is just like, you know, look how awesome Tina is. She's really strong. She's really bold. And it kind of throws you off the scent that she's actually under his control. Yeah. Cause like he wrote this song, he wrote the lyrics. To it. And yet at the same time, their, their actual life is the comp- as, as opposite as you can get from these lyrics. Yeah. I think that at some point, and this might be like such a cop out answer, but at some point, if somebody's going to be that abusive, you have to recognize that there's kind of something sick about that. Mm-hmm. That maybe there are some things that just don't make sense. Yeah. Some decisions they make just don't make sense. Not even them. So, but at the same time, I think your interpretation of it is close to accurate to kind of throw off the whole scent mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, it's it's the only thing that makes sense in my head. Right, right. And this is not the only time we're going to see a song with these kinds of lyrics. Oh. So, um, what, what were the standout uh, spots for you guys? What were, what were you guys really pulling from this song? I- I love the intro. Just the just that kind of 
just slow. I I was hooked on it from the intro. I really liked this song. <laughs> bum, bum, and obviously, bum, bum. yeah, just that slow draw on the horns. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to not just love the pre-chorus, you know, leading into the kind of that instrumental chorus. Man, yeah, mm-hmm. it's so sad now, though. Like, I guess I just can't. It's hard to look at these songs the same way as I looked at them before I knew. It's just like, I'm not, it's sad. Like, I I don't want to say that there's like a wet blanket over the set now, but like, uh, it's just like my ear is now different knowing the context. And so it's weird. It's like, it's just now like, it's weird just going back through it and listening and just like thinking about what she was thinking about like listening to this song because like she is talking to like the lyrics are talking to a man that is thinking about cheating you know but like her average everyday life you know it just sucks yeah but yeah anytime that she just says just get it out of your mind it's just like that's like the release that I'm just like yes ah, so great Mm-hmm. They do a good job of building that up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd have to say that for me, it's like the interplay between the instruments and her voice is really good. Especially like the two things that come to mind are like the keyboard and the the brass section. Like the keyboard during the verse is kind of like doing that bum 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 bum, which like the whole time, but. Um, she'll like say a line and then the keyboard will kind of like fill in that space mm-hmm. that's really nice and then of course when she's saying like get it and and like the horns will play and then it's like a call and response kind of thing it's really cool um, but it's just it's kind of a slow groovy like I don't want to say casino song because we literally just talked about Proud Mary but like you know what I mean mm-hmm it's like a casino song. It helps to, it helps to keep the momentum moving. Right, 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 right. It's a good song too. It's true. It is. So where is this on the ranked? Number four. Number four. Oh my lord. Okay. Was that is is that incorrect in your assumption? No, no. It was just surprisingly high. Well, you you guys love the songs. I mean, we did. I just I was like, wow, out of out of two hundred fifty two songs, but also at the same time, yeah, never mind, because Ike, because <laughs> yeah, we're used Ike. to hearing because well, we talked about like the broken clock is right twice a day kind of thing. I'm used to hearing a set and be like, man, this song is really good, and then you being it's number twelve, and I'm like, whoa, that's surprisingly low. But it's weird right. to hear like number four. I'm like, oh, I guess that's properly ranked. <laughs> no, because I'm used to it like, being like, like we talked about like last week, where it's just like all their songs are pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like all the top twenty songs are all great. But I guess this is one of those artists where it's like their top ten is good, and then it, the 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 curve starts going down. Yeah, yeah, my. My thing with this song, I was surprised that it was number four because it's like it was good, but it wasn't 
great, you know? And so I was like, number four, wow. Especially because we just came off Proud Mary, which is number two. Mm. So it's like, I don't know. Well, hopefully, I, I guess it'll make sense if we look at the rankings of all the other songs, then maybe it'll start to, to fit in. Yeah. But, okay. All right, so let's go on to the next one. Uh, Game of Love. Game of Love. Is this another Mind Games song? I believe so. Tell me what the song is about. So, um, whenever Tina performs live, part of her on-stage routine is that she almost like takes the role of like a preacher. She preaches in the middle of her songs, just like, you know, saying, you know, just talking about, you know, a woman's experience and um, just being like, you know, we, we women have it a lot harder out here than the men do. And, uh, you know, just kind of like doing a, a pro women and pro feminist statement. And a lot of that actually made it into the lyrics of this song. And like, she talks about there's a, there's a, a long like nine minute version she does of Aretha Franklin's respect live. Mm -hmm. And during, and the reason why it's nine minutes long is because she spends about five of those minutes uh on this on this big sermon and in that sermon she talks about you know you got to be a do right i'll be a do right woman if you're a do right man um you know there must be something great out on the streets for the guys if there's someone to get in it's time for the women to go get some too um you know man thinks that he can get what he wants when he wants but so can women and um, and so it's like it's all pulled – a lot of these lyrics are pulled like almost verbatim from these little speeches she would give live. Hmm. And so it's like it's, – it's like it's her words, yet it was penned by Ike for this song. And mm. I think that that makes it even more bizarre. Yeah. Because I mean, just again, you you hear her saying all that stuff, and you think that she's like a very strong, you know, woman. She doesn't she doesn't, you know, bow herself low to any man. That she yeah, you would think that she wrote this about yes. Ike, you know, and that and that he oh he must not ever treat her bad at all because she really lets him have it. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the the assumption that you could make. Whenever you, uh, whenever you hear it, and so again, it's what's making me think that it's it's this carefully constructed facade to not let people in on the possibility that you know that she's actually a prisoner. Right. Wow. Oh my. But still, this song has a great groove. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's very interesting that you mentioned Aretha Franklin during this song specifically because it sounds like an Aretha song. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously it. at this point, Aretha was like at the top of her game, popularity and vocal wise. So, mm-hmm. You know, they were definitely inhabiting the same space by this point. 
uh, Tino kind of got to the scene a little bit before Aretha did. Um, but at this point, you know, they're definitely contemporaries. Hmm. So it's they 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 live kind of in the same field and they uh but they're they're really kind of almost opposites of each other. Aretha has a very pure crystal sounding voice. Mm-hmm. This is very much a rough, jagged, uh more like guts v- vocal. Like mm-hmm. they they yeah. they sing in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. Which was very interesting to hear Tina's take on respect. To kind of hear her take on that uh, that kind of vocal with her own approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, what was what was standing out to you guys about this song? Well, to me, it felt very short. Yes. Right. I don't want to say it felt too short. I think it felt just right. But if I had to, if I had to choose which way, obviously it's like it's two minutes and forty-five seconds. It's but the fade out is super weird. I know. Right. I I completely agree. It's the it's the one complaint that I have with this song. It's it's one of those things where it's just like I don't I don't understand this choice because she's in the middle of the chorus. Mm-hmm. Which when, I would have when it's fading out. I, I would love to see like a jam section here. Yeah, like that would have been like this would have been such a good song for that. But at the same time, it's like without that jam section, I guess you can only fill three minutes, so it makes sense. I right? just I think that I think then that's a failure of arrangement. Right. Right. You but like that's not to say that any of the parts themselves are bad. No, that's, that's not to say that the song is bad either. It's the two-edged sword of the song. It's just like it, it's the arrangement could have been better, but everything that is in the song is done really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of the tragedy of of some songs, mm-hmm. you know. Because the song has a the song has a good groove. I like the the keys line is good. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish there was more horn arrangement, but it's it's cool how it is. It's kind of like oh, I I thought the horns were great. It's I, very, I just wish there was more. I guess it's a very smooth it, groove. Yeah, but I just I guess I thought it was gonna like probably again we already talked about the weird fade out. I was I was expecting it to like. Like a yeah, a jam session, a jam section, or like kind of it's like take a step up somehow. Yeah, or like go to a or like go to a cool vocal vamp. Yeah, like I was expecting because it kind of stays in this like cool subdued groove, and I'm and I'm I love it, you know. But then it just it just kind of goes away, and I was like, oh, I mean, I it was, it's kind of you you feel like it's just like I I guess the song's over. Yeah, mm-hmm. but. Tina does so well on this song. That chorus line is is pretty incredible. Oh yeah. Oh man. And the ad libs here and there, the random upshoots 
into the upper part of her range. Oh, just just chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. When <laughs> really every time good. she goes to, just like you can cheat on me, I can cheat on you. Is and then she says like she does hits that high you know yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good performance by her. Yet again, you know what do you expect? Um, well, is there is there anything else that you guys wanted to touch on this one? I think that in the next song, we're going to see all of the parts working together to make a better arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> I really had to stretch for that one, but we're working together. I had, to, had to get a pun in there again. We're we're a couple of punny guys. Yep. So this song is working together. Oh, um, did we talk about where Game of Love was on? Oh, the- uh, number six. Ah, okay. That's a good spot. Yeah. That's yeah. That's accurately rated. I would say. So uh, this is the the title song of that seventy one record. This this record, as you can see, we had three representatives from it. It's definitely mm-hmm. their their best record. And their mm-hmm. most commercially successful record. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, it's got a, it's got a pretty good cover to it. Yeah, the, well. I would say it's definitely their best cover art. They've they've got some pretty terrible album art. <laughs> I would say it's pretty interesting given what we know about them now. Mm-hmm. It's that she's in the front, but he is always there. Yep. It's rather sinister, <laughs> but but also it looks cool either way. Yeah. So working together, what are we working together on, Lucas? Um, on uh, racial equality. This is this is so a, this, is the... this is this is a political song. Okay. This is this is you know this is this is peace, love, and harmony for all. That that's what I had anticipated, um, and this is actually the song that made me think like they were a lot earlier than I originally thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I had I had pinned them at like mid to late seventies, which like I wasn't far off. But then when I heard this song, when she was like, "There are still people here that are not free," it made me think like this was very like civil rights. But I guess I guess to extent like. It's it's more of like a metaphorically free, but also she's not free of Ike. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Their entire career is like a concept album. Yes. <laughs> but it, but that's the other weird thing is like because whenever I originally read this or read this, listened to this, and was kind of like going through it because like I thought that she wrote Game of Love. I thought that they co-wrote working together, you know. Yeah. Oh, this hmm. is the song where they he sings harmony on the. Oh, okay. Um, I guess I hadn't noticed it. Um. Yeah, I just so it's like it is a concept record, but like she wasn't sing- she was singing his words. Mm-hmm. And she so always like, said no. that she always said that she had her way of interpreting whatever words he wrote to make it mean something to her. I love the little 
that little weird guitar line at the beginning. I didn't think I would like it, but it actually fits in with like kind of the, the vibe. Mm-hmm. It's working together is definitely their most creatively uh, successful record as far as them using m- more um, creative sounds and it and it working mm-hmm. because there are plenty of times where they use, <laughs> um, where they make some quote unquote creative choices and um, it doesn't work. And the song feels well, like well arranged. Yeah, you know. Um, I put this at uh, number seven. Okay. I, I I I think though that I might sneak it past Game of Love. The more that I've listened to it, the more I've liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I might I might do a revision in the future. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Just because I don't think that this has the the. It's like I like the groove of Game of Love more, but it does have that flaw of the way that it's. That yeah. <laughs> it works. I'm I'm not a fan of um, songs that try to be like a "We Are the World" kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of artists try to get the. Um, try to do the anti-racist song, and it just well, it's not—it's not about the message. It's just like, well, it just always becomes the same song. Well, like we are the world was are like big, like, like they write a song to try to like capture the heart of the times, but it usually ends up being like really kind of cheesy. Mm-hmm. You know, like you—you you can tell that they're like. It's it's like the killers writing Christmas songs. Yeah, it just it, it's like I'm want to write a Christmas song because I know if I can write a Christmas song, I'll make bank. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, oh it's it's 2020 and there's like riots and and like police brutality. I'm gonna write a song about that that like makes the world come like come together. And like what my favorite, probably one of my favorite bands of all time, which is the Black Eyed Peas. They do this on every single album, and I hate it every single time that they do it. Mm. Because it doesn't feel genuine. It just feels like they're jumping on. Like, all their other songs, I'm like, man, that's so creative. That's so good. And then they, like, do, like, that, and it sounds so basic. But I guess what I was saying is, like, I... I usually don't like songs like that, but I feel like working together is a creative... It doesn't feel, it feels like I understand the message, but I don't feel like it's cheesy. Uh huh. So it's, it's, it's well written. I don't feel like it, it's like, it's not too, um, upfront with the messaging, you know, and it's not like too back pocket, like tongue in cheek, artsy fartsy either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that if you're going to do like a song of this style, especially in like the more modern music um, context, you're going to have to do something like what Rush did with Red Sector A, where it's never really like calling out racism. It's just kind of like telling a story of like 
you know, it's it's more nuanced that way, and it I think it it's received better. I actually I really like Red Sector A, and I really don't like We Are the World because it's like it's super, like it's a good message. I'm not gonna deny that like that's a that's a good sentiment, but how unique from an artistic perspective, how unique is that? You know. I, we so are the world was awesome because of the video and all the features. Yeah. Okay. Except whenever they did it the second time. <laughs> <laughs> is it better than uh, do they know it's Christmas? I feed the world. He, uh, no, uh, we are the world. No, there's, you know, because uh... you know what the what that the whole point of that song was, right? Wait, yeah. It was hurricane relief, right? No, it was uh, it was for Live Aid. Oh yeah, because the original one was uh, "Do They Know It's Christmas," which was the British version, and then they made an American version as a uh, as a companion piece. because the, then they did "Feed the World." The remember that? I remember "Heal the World." Feed the world. Let them know it's Christmas time. I know what Ethan's talking about, yeah. I think that might be Do do They Know It's Christmas. Maybe it was. Because... How can they know it's Christmas time yep. at all? Yep, that's that's Do They Know It's Christmas, which actually came first. Yeah, they did. Did you hear the, the second one of that? No. Dude, if you want an after hours... <laughs> If you want an after hours, they add a rap in it to feature all of the modern rappers, and they all rap the same thing at the same time. Oh, oh no! Like, and there's like thirty of them. Oh no! <laughs> Anyways, That's working together. A... Okay, that'll that'll go far in the in the bad music podcast. I already know. All right, you guys ready to move on? All right, yeah. Let's move on. To uh, He Belongs to Me. He Belongs to Me. Now, this one is... We're into... We were just playing 4D chess with the lyrics. Now, I think we're into five or six dimensions. Because <laughs> this doesn't even... I Okay, Lucas, you're going to have to go through the lyrics on this. <laughs> so, this is the cover... Okay, okay, that that settles. Up. Yeah, this was actually originally a Bob Dylan song. Obviously, uh, gender swapped. Right. So, um, but at the same time, yes, you can definitely. Um, it's like you can feel that there's a reason behind the lyrics. Mm-hmm. This song is like super buried in their discography it's not on any albums the only way you can find it is on a compilation record it's the only way i found it it says re-recorded because it was originally on uh one of the few solo projects that tina had gotten to do that was still definitely Mm -hmm. height controlled but it was like it was a country album so again you can kind of see it's just like whose decision was that Mm-hmm. For Tina Turner to do a country album, 
Mm-hmm. And this song was on it, but that's not like this album isn't even on her Spotify page. So hmm. it's like it's like it's been buried. Like it doesn't exist unless you really know that it's there and you're gonna go find it. Yeah. Okay. And um so that's it was re recorded to be on on something we don't again we don't even have the album that this was originally on if it was on an album it's just it's wow. it's a it's a it's a it's a buried song on a compilation record but it was during mm-hmm. this point in the in the listening process that i started to really despair because mm-hmm. a lot of the really bad songs are on these compilation records yeah and i remember hearing this and just going wow what a beautiful song amid all of this crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I I listened to it again to make sure I wasn't just thinking it was good because it was around a bunch of crappy songs. And the more I listened to it, I was just like, this is a really good song. I think I could use this in the set. Ooh. And so here it is. Yeah, let's say it At is. number three on the ranked playlist. Wow. Number three. Mm-hmm. I think that this, we get to see a more pure vocal performance from Tina here. It's got such a nice touch to it. It's, it's, she's not filtering it through the really gritty, sharp edged side of her. We kind of get to see a different side. Mm. Well, I'm not going to argue with the ranking, so I won't. It is kind of sweet. <laughs> it, it feels it like a sweet song. Mm-hmm. It is. I think. I think my perspective of the rest of the songs was kind of is very much bookended by "Proud Mary" and our final song. Mm-hmm. And so, and of course, all the songs in the middle are much more subdued. Yeah, which is like, which I imagine is kind of what is normal for them. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's like those two songs are very just like uppity and like in a good way are just very high energy. And I really like, like that about them. And so to hear you rank this as number three was like, Whoa, I get the impression that you don't agree with. Well, it's just like, I don't know. Like maybe had I listened to the entire discography, I would agree. And I haven't. I've only listened to these six songs, so I can't really give like an informed decision, like an informed reason why I disagree. I will say this. These kinds of songs are incredibly rare in their discography. And even in the times that they normally would appear, there was always some kind of decision that would be made that, was, that would just tank the song then that makes sense. If this was kind of more of like a rarity, kind of like a like a diamond in the rough kind of mm-hmm. thing, this, this, then I can understand the the um, I guess the sentiment. It's like, it's a song that's like not burdened by like tons of effects and instruments oh, that's of, of clutter, that it just feels very simple. Yeah, and the and the backing vocals just give that very light feeling. Normally, a, an Ike and Tina song does not feature a lot of restraint. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> and so, and sometimes it's used for good, sometimes it's used for bad. But this is a song where it's like there is restraint, and it just it feels nice. It's a breath of mm-hmm. fresh air. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way of putting it. Actually, breath of fresh air. Because mm-hmm. the three songs beforehand have still been pretty. Um, intense as far as like arrangement and horn section and and she's really going crazy with her voice which i like but you know it's good to to hear something that's much more subdued yeah that's a good point so ethan uh what do you agree i yeah because whenever i heard this this it was it I'm I'm also glad that you said it was originally country because whenever I was listening to it, I was like, it is R and B soul, but like, it doesn't feel, you know, like it doesn't feel like it, you know, and like there's slide guitar and stuff. Because whenever I originally heard, it, I was just like, her vocal performance is awesome because it's it's like this weird blues, you know. And I ended up kind of falling in love with it. Mm-hmm. Like the more I listened to it, because the first time I was like, what is this country guitar thing happening? You know, it's like a blues melody with like a country guitar line with like gospel piano. And there's like organs and stuff in it randomly. And I'm just like, I don't understand the arrangement that's happening right now. But ironically, and we said this at the beginning, like Tina Tina's vocals is what pulls it all together. You know, yeah. I think if anyone else would have sang it, it would be like, what is this crappy arrangement? You know, mm-hmm. pick a genre, you know, but like her, her, her ability to just finesse that blues soul vocal, it just like forces everything else to sound more soulful. <laughs> yeah. Cause the guitar, like the acoustic guitar is like very straight, you know? And I don't know. It, Really, I think it's just Tina's vocals just gets accentuated, and I and like I said before, it's it's a very sweet song. Mm-hmm. It it is definitely sad because it's you know it's the whole song is about praising this man that this man yeah. is the greatest man there is, and this is this would have been recorded in like seven probably seventy four seventy five, so this would have been at the end Ugh. of career. So this is this is at the end of a of a arduous fifteen year battle, and I I feel like you can hear pain in her voice, and I think that that's what helps sell the song. Mm. But yeah, I just to me the more I heard it, the more I was just like this this is a song that people need to know exists in their discography because it's like, again, it's, it's so yeah. buried. No one would, most people would never know about this song. And I think that it should be one of the ones that people know about from them. If, if I were to mm-hmm. like really champion a deep cut of theirs, this is the one I would go to. Well, yeah, you put it at number three. Yep. So, that makes sense. I think you've given a valid defense for its placement. <laughs> if ever there was one. Yeah. 
But I'm really excited to talk about the finale of the set. I am very. The finale. Very. So this is this is a mountain high finale. Yes. This song is River Deep Mountain High. Oh yeah. Is this number this one? This is number one. Woo! I knew it. As soon as I had heard this song, I was just like, like obviously it starts off like it's okay, mm-hmm. you know. And there's some pretty interesting lyrical choices, you know. But like as it gets towards the end, and like the choruses just get bigger and bigger and bigger, it's like, oh yes. Mm-hmm. When that the first oh, chorus man. hits, I remember. I remember hearing the first one. I was just like, okay. But then like that chorus comes in I, I was like oh oh what is this mm. so <laughs> so good do you, do you want one of the main tells that this is the, their best song Ike is what? nowhere on this song <laughs> he didn't does he not even do the guitar nope. or something he didn't have any say oh, producing right. it arranging it he was he was gone why? What happened? Phil Spector had this song. Uh, oh, this was this guy's song. Yeah, so if you don't know anything about Phil Spector, Phil Spector is one of the greatest producers of all time. He patented what's called the Wall of Sound, which is just – he had a recording technique where he would had so much music happening that it just kind of blended into this this – wall of noise or wall of sound i wouldn't call it noise because he also knew how to mix it and how to arrange what everyone's playing that it all just melded together into this like this golden honey of music where it's like you can't really pick out the individual parts but at the same time all the parts are complementing each other and it just always gives the songs this big feel but like mm-hmm. Phil Spector has has made some of the biggest albums and singles of all time. But unfortunately, he went insane and murdered someone. So, oh, that, yep, that'll that'll injure. Yeah, he 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 shot a woman in the face. So that'll do it. <laughs> kids don't do drugs. Yeah, yeah kids. If you want to start a musical career, don't kill someone. But this was before all that happened. So he um, he had this song for like three years. And he knew that he needed a powerful voice to pull it off. And he didn't know who he could give it to to actually make it a reality. Mm-hmm. And finally, he went to go see Ike and Tina live. And when he saw her, he immediately knew this is the voice I need for this song. Because he knew he had a hit. He just knew he needed the right voice for it. And so he approached Ike and he said, I will give you $20,000 in advance to let me make a song for Tina. And he said on one condition that it's an Ike and Tina song and not a Tina song by itself. And he said, done, took her to the studio and Ike had no participation in the song whatsoever. So it really isn't an Ike and Tina song, but legally yeah, it is. Yeah, because that was the only way that he could get Tina Ike's approval to get her to sing the song. That's kind of lame. I know. But Tina said that this is her favorite song she's ever made, either solo or with Ike. 
Oh, I can imagine. It's um, good song. This is the song that this was like their first hit because even though it didn't do well in America, it made it all the way to number three in the UK. And so it was a huge international hit. And it was it was this nice. song that brought them over to be the opening act for the Rolling Stones because Mick Jagger loved the song. Wow. And Tina even claims that she was the one that taught Mick Jagger all of his stage moves. um so so yeah he phil specter is known for being a hardcore perfectionist and tina says that he made her sing the first verse of that song like over a thousand times what which you hear all the other stories about phil specter and that is totally believable. There was a Ramones album that he helped make where they spent seven days just trying to tune the drums. And it was like 10 hour days of the drummer just hitting the snare over and over again. So he got the snare exactly the way that he wanted it. And did it sound good? Mm, I can't remember. (laughs) I haven't listened to that album in a very long time. So I can't. Probably not. 70 hours good. No. Yeah. It's hard to be 70 hours good. Have you, it's like the it's law better, of diminishing returns where it's like if it's 80% good and it takes us 100 hours to get it to 81% good, it's not worth it. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it better be great southern friend kill snare <laughs> if it takes you 70 hours. Uh, or um, I would say Tom Petty damn the torpedoes snare. That's one of the best snares I've ever heard. There's just a lot of good snares. There's a lot of bad snares. Yeah, though. there are. We we get to talk about them. I, 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 we get to talk about them coming up in uh, two weeks. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, so whenever she came in to do the song, she tried to sing it the way that Ike normally tells her to sing. And Phil mm-hmm. was like, no, 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 no. That's not the way I want you to sing. I want you to sing like the way you would sing it. Sing sing natural. Don't add in all the extra stuff that you normally do. I just want you to sing pure. I don't want you to add in any whoops, yeahs. Don't do any runs. Just sing the song pure and sing it with power. And she said she was so excited to hear him say that because she said that that's the way she's always wanted to sing. The way she sings with Ike, she doesn't like that style. That's so sad. Mm. That is sad. She said it's the most fun during that period that she ever had making an album. Even though, yes, she had to sing it over and over again, she said it was still a million times better than anything she was doing. Yeah, that's... It's still... It still sounds great. And man, her vocal performance just blows the roof off. Yeah. Yeah. It is very just... There's only a couple instances in here where she deviates from the main melody. Mm -hmm. It's very backed. Like, very much unlike um, the second half of Proud Mary where she's almost overdoing it. She's almost, like, blowing her voice mm-hmm. out. You know, here it's, like, full, like, range. 
It's like her whole body is involved in the note making. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. It was a good decision to go solo, Tina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for for more reasons than one, but even musically, man. Why? So why does? Because all of the like the mix sounds like really far away. Is there a reason for that? That's just that's part of the wall of sound. You listen to all of Phil Spector's other stuff. That's that's characteristic. Is Phil Spector um, somehow related to Spector Sound Studios? Maybe. Okay, because that may be completely, like, not even close, but it sounds like it would be. Yeah. I'm surprised Uh, if there was a major recording studio named Spector and not be named after him. But also, he killed a person. Mm-hmm. Isn't that didn't happen. That's a quick. That's the, a quick. The place could have already been created and named before that happened. True. Well, the the it's a it's a YouTube, but I don't know if that's the guy's name. Oh, I thought you were saying it was a studio. Well, it it's a studio and a YouTube. It's uh, one of those one of those YouTubes those kids watch. You know, Glenn Fricker. No, I don't. That's a real unfortunate last name, I know. <laughs> you fricker. Have you guys seen that? Have but... you guys seen that joke? Where it's that guy that's like so mad, but he doesn't cuss. Uh, oh, man. It's on, it was yeah, on TikTok. It was just like going around for a long time. It's like whenever you like make your friend who doesn't cuss really mad, he's like, you gosh darn fricker. <laughs> you... <laughs> <laughs> like he's using all these like oh man it's really good I'll find it I don't know if I like the wall of sound then oh wait no it's spe- it's spelled differently okay I oh my gosh I Phil Spector died this yeah, year yeah he did wow I like the wall of sound just because I love the atmosphere it creates but if you're someone that that loves clear crisp audio that and you can tell where everything is then the wall of sound is your worst nightmare i think that there's a happy medium because like if you listen to something and i've mentioned this before like um ethan talked about how um listening to most of natural science was kind of a bore because it's like everything was so so clear that there just wasn't anything keeping the the meat of the song together but at the same time, you know, I've I've listened all the way through Mashuga, and it was actually kind of hard for my ears to do it because I couldn't tell where everything was. Mm-hmm. And I kind of agree with that sentiment. I definitely agree with that sentiment. I like to tell what the instruments are doing, right? I think that um, especially like Dream Theater's Octavarium, is very good at finding that sweet spot. Like it's pretty heavy. It's pretty good. You can kind of tell what each instrument is doing um, at the same time. It's just, it's like, it's like how Ozzy said, you know, you got to find a guitar player who's going to write a riff that's going to make a kid want to learn to play guitar. 
And you have to have both of those things. You have to be able to be learned by ear and you have to actually sound good. But anyway, coming back to this song, it's like it's it is wall of sound. There's a lot of sound going on, but it also finds that sweet spot where you can kind of tell like you can kind of pick out what instruments are actually in there if you really listen close enough with headphones you can kind of figure out what's going on sonically and i think that's really cool because then from a mixing standpoint the song's like a puzzle yeah you know well i think that it's and, i think it's an explosive way to end the set yes i agree oh, yeah. there you're there's your catharsis that final chorus yeah yeah yes Yes. And I went back and forth on whether this or Proud Mary was number one. And just I had I had to trust my gut that told me that it needs to be River Deep Mountain High. There's just there's that extra little punch of a special something that I think just pushes it a little bit past. It's and also not the a history cover. of it helps. Yeah. The story with it. It's it's not exactly a cover you know no because it was it's kind of it's kind of lame if your number one song is a cover well aretha franklin like well okay but okay 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 as would as would Jimi hendrix it's kind of lame in the good music podcast if your number one or your only good perceivable song i should say it that way if the song that defines you is a cover Mm mm-hmm Whereas I think you can you can look to um, a lot of Aretha songs that are covers of various different artists that can kind of define her, you know, instead of like one song in particular. Or it's like Jimi Hendrix. It's like not only is like All Along the Walk Tower like a great song of his, but you also you could talk about like Voodoo Child and be like, oh, hey, that's like a definitive Jimi Hendrix yeah. song. Yeah, I that he wrote. I think that I think it's it's good in good faith to put this number one because, like Ethan said, you know, it's got a good story behind it. It's like Ike wasn't really involved, and Tina very much got to do what she wanted with the song, and that's what made it great. Yeah. So, well, and that that is really the cathartic moment. I, I think, think so too. Well, we'll go ahead and take another break here. And when we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts about Ike and Tina Turner. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done listening to our set list uh, from Ike and Tina Turner for the week, which was Proud Mary, Get It, Get It, Game of Love, Working Together, He Belongs to Me, and River Deep. And so now we are on to our last segment um, of the night, which is final thoughts. And this is just at the beginning, we have first thoughts. And now after hearing the context and listening to the set and talking about the songs, this is our time to kind of see if our opinions have changed. And if you haven't gone and listened through the set list yet, like we just did, um, do that so that you can have final thoughts for yourself and let us know your final thoughts on social media. But Grant, final thoughts 
you were neutral at the beginning. Where are you now? Right. I was completely neutral because I knew absolutely nothing. I didn't even know what I knew. I didn't know what I didn't know. Now I pretty much know as much as I would like to, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and ah, see, this is I'm in a weird place because some of the songs in this set I really liked, but some of them they were okay. I'm not really driven, like, maybe this is just me and my personal taste. I'm not really driven to go listen to more. Um, but if I did, I would start with, like, the Working Together album, because, like, all three of the songs here, like, we had a representation from that album of, like, three songs. And all of them were great. Um, so I would start there if I if I wanted to listen to more. But also part of me is just very horrified at Ike, you know, and there's like exactly how I feel. Right. There's part of that too. And it's like, if I wanted to listen to Tina Turner, I think I could, could get, um, like what I need from her voice out of her solo career. And so more than anything, okay, I'll put it this way. I'm, I am looking forward to, a Tina Turner solo career episode. But I think that I'm like a three or like a four of Ike and Tina Turner because of Ike, not because of the music. If I were to, if I were to say the music, I'd probably be like a five or six, but like there are some things that you just can't like be okay with. I'm usually one that's for art, like listener artist separation, but like there are just some things that you just have to be like that's not like I that's not okay. Um, but I shouldn't say that that's like me moving down from five to like three or four because I really didn't know where I was on the map to begin with. So that's not it's not really fair to say that I moved down. It's just that's where I am. Like I found my spot of where Ike and Tina Turner are for me. And River Deep Mountain High was my favorite song, as you might have guessed. So. All right. Well, Ethan. So. Uh, I I was debating after, because I'm, I'm tempted to be similar. I guess, Lucas, you might be able to speak into this. I think everyone might be feeling this way, where it's like, I I am so glad on on one hand I'm so glad that we know the context, you know, and I think that it's it's better that I have context listening to these songs and my respect for Tina Turner is very very high, you know. Uh and my respect for Ike is obviously very low and and listening to the music and knowing the context even though i think musically it's good and i think musically it's it's complicated to listen to and we were just talking after the last segment where it's like it's so weird that ike is writing these like pretty much like fictional songs like most songwriters write like what they're going through and so it's so weird to be like writing it like writing fiction for your wife to sing to 
make her image good, even though like you treat her like crap, you know? And so that's kind of like over the whole thing. So I think in, in some ways listening to it, it feels like it feels like I can feel that, you know, like I feel what Tina feels, you know, and I don't like that feeling. (laughs) And so part of me like would want to say like what Grant is saying, like a, like maybe a three or a four, but I think on the flip side of that, um, even knowing all the crap and, and I don't think that I'll ever listen to an Ike and Tina Turner's song and not be able to think about their relationship. Like their like the relationship is transcending everything, you know? And I think that's, that's probably why you picked this to do before we did a Tina Turner standalone. And so it's complicated. I'm definitely not neutral on it anymore. I don't know if I am less inclined to listen to it though. If anything, my respect has just gone up. And so I'm, I guess that's where I'm at. I'm in a weird place. Uh, I might be going up to like a six or a seven. Just even though the context is sad, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that even in the sad context, like, knowing that this is just like the origin story of Tina Turner. It's like the mud of like a great story. It's like, you know, it's like the sad part of a movie where like, you know, the champion is like knocked down and his life starts out like crap. But then like later it's really good. It's like the movie is still good. And so that's probably why I'd probably give it a six or a seven. I'll probably, um, dig into the catalog a little bit just because I like the genre but it's not like a, a happy like I'm excited about liking it six or seven it's more of like a, a reverent respectful six or seven you know like yeah. I, I respect I that um, so yeah okay well yeah, it's this is maybe the most complex final thoughts well we've ever had to give because there's so there's so many qualifiers to it. And there's so many things that are working for and against our opinion. Like I mean, first off, you've got the pure music itself, which at times is really, really soaring. For me, I've I've listened to the whole catalog and so yeah affecting my decision a little bit and for me it's like i feel like i have heard everything that i need to know and i i don't know if i'll revisit it um but at the same time like again it's like my my appreciation for tina has risen significantly mm-hmm. and it's like you you really can't understand the rest of her story without this part it's a it's necessary and so you do have that to where it's like i'm really glad that i uh i did this episode because it uh 
it helped me to really understand her as an artist and to appreciate everything that she has gone through. But yet, do I want to continue to listen to Ike and Tina Turner music? I'm more inclined to say no, but at the same time, if I did, I feel like I would at least understand uh, the con- the the context for it. I would say, I would say I'd put myself at a six. I'm, a, I'm I I appreciate and understand more than I did, but. It's just, it's so complex. It's more than just saying, you know, oh, just, you know, their music was this good, their music was that good. You kind of really can't even judge in those, in that capacity with this artist. But at the same time, I have no regrets about yeah. doing this episode and researching for it because I think that it's an incredible story. And, it does, to a certain extent, make even the lesser songs we're listening to quite fascinating. Because it's it's not as simple as just, oh, this is a bad song. Or, oh, this song has some really strange stuff in it. It's like when you have the, the story to go along with it, it's just like it becomes very three-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, those those are my final thoughts. I've I, written I, slightly, but it's a very there's an asterisk by our numbers. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where it's like there's there's stuff that has happened like in the past, and everybody has stories like this where it's like there's stuff there's painful stuff in the past you know, that is, like, stupid and horrible, but, like, if if that's, like, the ashes that the phoenix rises out of, you know, sometimes uh-huh. it's important to go back and and look at the origin story, whether it's, you know, like, Jimi Hendrix, you know, growing up really poor and just hustling, or whether it's you know, we have a lot of crazy background stories for a lot of our artists, and this one's, like, really, really tragic. But in some ways, like, kind of looking at the tragedy of it, it whenever we do another Tina Turner episode, like, I feel like, I feel like I'm missing holistic perspective because we haven't done a Tina Turner episode by itself. Uh-huh. And so, like, right now, we're just talking about this part of her life, which is horrible, you know, and we don't really get the payoff right now, which is probably why I'm I'm going a little bit higher. Like, again, like, it, it's it's a six or a seven reverently, you know, <laughs> it's but yeah, sometimes I think the the amazing thing is that, like, after all of this, like, she was still able to, like do anything like that she didn't i mean that she didn't just quit and give up Mm-hmm. she makes a big deal doesn't matter how hard things get you never ever give up you always move forward yeah and she sure did yeah 
All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this quite unique episode. Um, this was definitely one where it's kind of like we concentrated a little more on the story of everything while still talking about music. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. And uh, if you really like what you're listening to, make sure you hit the subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. Uh, next week, we are going to be continuing our History of Music sub-series. We're going to be talking about um, some more music in the Renaissance. We'll be talking about uh, the secular music of that time. So uh, we always have a lot of fun on those episodes, so please make sure to check those out. Um, there are two links in the description of the episode. One of them takes you to a Spotify playlist where you can hear these songs. Please go listen to the songs. Uh, even if you've heard them before or if you think to yourself, I just, I'm not into this genre, go check it out. You might be surprised by what you find. Um, and also make sure to uh, follow the other link to our Patreon page. It's where you can get access to early and exclusive content, including what I think is going to be maybe the most, uh, the most bizarre uh, bad music podcast segment we've ever done. So uh, if you want to, if you want to hear us just talking about really, really bad songs, uh, go sign up to be a patron and you'll get uh, lots of other stuff as well. And uh, make sure to check us out on social media as well as leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on uh, and send us suggestions for bands and artists that you would like for us to cover in the future because once a month we are doing an artist that you guys pick. So if you want to have your favorite group talked about, then uh, make sure that you hit us up. And with all that, I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music.